So at first I was like, wow, this stock's going to go from like 50 cents to seven bucks. That means it's going to become more valuable. It could get listed into another exchange and I can make a ton of money. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a reverse split before, but what happens immediately after the stock hits $7 or whatever it is, it goes right back down to exactly where it was. So it goes back down to like 50 cents. So you're like, wow, I lost all my money in doing so. And it's like, how could someone even predict something like that could happen? Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To reduce risk in your life, go to myworstinvestmentever.com today and take the risk reduction assessment I created from the lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Leonard Kim. Leonard, are you ready to join the mission? Yeah, I'm ready, Andrew. Let's do it. I am excited to have you on, and we've just had a kind of a fun discussion. Let me introduce you to the audience. Leonard Kim is the worst investor you'll ever meet. He's made countless mistakes like investing into stocks on the pink sheets, OTC bulletin board, and companies that are bound for bankruptcy, like MoviePass. He's bought preferred shares from public companies that have gone bust and invested in private companies that have failed. On the contrary, though, he's an extraordinary marketer who has won countless awards, been recognized as a top marketer by Forbes, Brand24, MadCon, and many more. He's also an internationally recognized TEDx talk, and he's the author of the book, Ditch the Act. It's a book on personal branding and humanizing your company with McGraw-Hill Business. My goodness, Leonard, take a minute and tell us about the value that you bring to this wonderful world. So when we look at marketing nowadays, there's a lot of companies out there that have like a pretty big brand that a lot of people can't relate to or they've already gotten to know over time. For example, when you think IBM, what do you think they do? Maybe make a computer. When you think Cisco, you're like, oh, do they do food? Like you have to like think and wonder exactly what every company does. And even with a newer company, like let's just say... XYZ brand, you build something brand new, like there's no affinity towards that. So a lot of people have a disconnect when it comes to going out there and connecting with people in various fields. For example, if you look at what Cisco Systems does nowadays, they do a lot of IoT and a lot of things in the technological world that's advancing society. Also, at the same time, they do those phones that are in the office and they have a wide plethora of services that they offer because they have tens of thousands of employees all across the world. But you can't all put that under one brand umbrella or else people don't get it. So an example for that is... um, for four years, I worked at the Academic Medical Center over at the University of Southern California, and it's a similarly structured environment. You got 5,000 people working there, 650 doctors, and we had this brand called Keck Medicine of the University of Southern California. But what does that really say? When you look at a business, you have various service lines, like for the hospital, for example, you have orthopedics, you have otolaryngology, you have spine, you have urology, you have heart, you have all these different things and different components, and there's a specialist in each and every single area. 
The same thing transfers for a business like Cisco or maybe a finance firm or anything else out there, because we all have different verticals that underlay each of the different lines of companies that we work in. Or if we're a brand new company, no one even knows what we do. So what we do is with Influence Tree, we take the personal brands of the people who work within the company and put them at the forefront. So you get the halo effect of everyone else. So an example of that, one of the physician or one of the surgeons who works over at USC he is the guy who uh, McDreamy was based off of in Grey's Anatomy. Now, he knows a lot of celebrities. He's got this world-renowned background. So by having someone like him in the institution, it brings USC to a higher level. Now, at the same time, let's say I'm an assistant professor. It's my first day on the job. I'm going out there and I'm entering into the world, uh, maybe foot surgery, right? I enter into the world. No one knows who I am. But at the same time, I'm leveraging the brand of USC to leverage myself because Dr. Giannata and Dr. Gill and all these other people have leveraged up the reputation of the brand overall. So I get to carry in that reputation, but also at the same time, by adding me to the forefront of the business and putting my picture out there, a little bit of a bio and my expertise, I'm able to go out there and speak directly to the consumer so more people get to understand that they can come see me at the institution too. So that, and one, promotes the service line for the business, it promotes the brand, and it also promotes the person. So what we're doing is we're taking that personal connection from each and every single person within the organization and putting them out there. And some people are like, should we go and market everyone? If you think about it, like for Pokemon, for example, there's some Pokemon that are a little sketch, like Snorlax, for example, he's a big round ball who just sleeps all day. But how many people love Snorlax? <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Like you would think, oh, this lazy guy who does nothing. We don't want to build their personal brand because it might not halo with, with the brand of the company. But the truth is you take every single type of person and you put them at the forefront and you have a wide plethora that gives character and flavor to your brand. Mm. Interesting. And, um, you know, you're talking about a business where specialty is all what it's about when it comes to medical, but also with Pokemon as an example, is not so much about the personality, you know, or specialty. It's just the personality or the uniqueness of those people. And I just wonder if you think about a typical small, mid-sized business, is this a good strategy for them? I mean, at USC, as an example, or at, you know, at the medical center or at a big organization, it kind of makes sense because you've got these geniuses and you've got these really great specialists that you can profile. But should a listener who has a small, medium-sized business be putting themselves and their personality out in the forefront along with other people maybe that are on their team or not? So before answering that question, from the revenue standpoint, by going out with this personal branding strategy, we went from $900 million a year to over a billion dollars a year in four years. Our website traffic increased from 90,000 page views a month to 450,000 a month. And I like to use Keck as an example because we had a five-year-old brand. Keck Medicine was at the front of USC. If you look at every single other donor who donates to USC, it's USC blank, USC blank, USC blank. I don't know what Keck did to go and finagle their way to go in front of that, but we had to start with a brand new brand, which kind of goes into the territory of the small to medium-sized business that you're talking about. 
Mm. You have a smaller brand that not a lot of people know of. UCLA is number one in the area. Everyone knows who UCLA is. But then we're like, how do we go out there and differentiate ourselves? So we were the small player in the field, much like a small or medium-sized business. So to go out there and differentiate ourselves and make a market share for ourselves, if we didn't go with that route, then we would probably still stay that 900 million, which it, for academic medical center that big is not a lot of money. It's mm. like the same as equivalent, uh, maybe the equivalent of like a five to a $10 million business staying the same. But yeah. now if you were in a five to a $10 million business, if you were to go out there and do the personal branding effort, put your people at the forefront, you could go up to 13 million, 15 million, 20 million, maybe even 25 million within those four year period. So it gives you the chance to go and really accelerate the growth with your company. And that scales back into each of the smaller companies. Even if you're a one person organization, to go out there and put all your effort into your corporate brand, it's extremely hard because now you have to figure out how am I going to get people to resonate with my logo? I have to stick within a box to go and only talk about these specific things that relate to my business. But if you go and operate as a person instead, by operating as a person, you can talk about all plethoras of your life. And when people come back to seeing what you do, they read your bio. And when they read your bio, they get to know, like, and trust you. And if your bio is good enough, they fall in love with you as well. And at that moment, they get to see what you do for a living and they get to decide if they want to work with you, follow you on social media, invite you to speak somewhere, go and offer you a book deal, go and invite you to a place where you can talk to 100 people who could potentially become your clients. It could turn into a lot of different things. So going out there and building a personal brand definitely works on the small scale as well. And it's a lot more easier to maneuver when you don't have all the chain of command and the red tape that comes with a big organization. But at the small scale, you have the ability to go and maneuver pretty quickly. Okay, that's great, great advice. And for the listeners out there, you know, focus in on personality and focus in on the individuals because ultimately the story of people is what is attractive. Now, let me just ask you before we get into the main question, what's the best way for people to, to contact you, to get your resources, to, to get more of what you do? Sure. So my website is leonardkim.com. You could also find Ditch the Act on Amazon or any book selling service. And my company is called Influence Tree, and it talks about the services that are offered there. Fantastic. We'll have links to all that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. So feel free to go there and click on it and go to it. All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. So, okay, let's start at the very beginning. When I first started going out there and investing, like I saw all this hype around penny stocks. So I thought a penny stock was really something that was under a dollar, right? Something with the cents behind it. Nowadays, I know a penny stock is considered any stock that's under $5, which came with education. But at the time, I thought a penny stock was under a dollar. So it was things that traded at like 30 cents, 50 cents, 70 cents, things like that. And one of the first investments I ever made was into a penny stock. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but I put like a few grand into it. And Something interesting happened with that. It did. It was actually on the OTCBB, which is the OTC Bulletin Board, which is a place where a lot of companies that aren't fit for the NASDAQ list their stocks. They're not really great companies. They're struggling. They're not doing that well. They might be doing shady things. Who knows? Like, 
a lot of things like that. And one of the companies decided to go out there and do a reverse split. So at first I was like, wow, this stock's going to go from like 50 cents to seven bucks. That means it's going to become more valuable. It could get listed into another exchange and I can make a ton of money. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a reverse split before, but what happens immediately after the stock hits $7 or whatever it is, it goes right back down to exactly where it was. So it goes back down to like 50 cents. So you're like, wow, I lost all my money in doing so. And it's like, how could someone even predict something like that could happen? Another situation for me is there was this company and they had a stock that was listed on the OTCBB and it was trading like around like maybe somewhere like 25, 50, 75 cents, somewhere in that range. And they were selling preferred shares. So they had these certificates and they were like, these are series B preferred shares, which means you get voting rights, you get this, you get that, and you get a certificate that really emphasizes how much your stock is worth and you get you actually have ownership into the company. I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty attractive. It comes with a one-year hold where you can't go and sell those certificates. I'm like, hmm, wouldn't it be cool to actually own a certificate of a company? That would be pretty cool. It's not like just trading a stock on like your E-Trade account or anything like that. So I got like six grand. I bought a ton of these shares for 50 cents each, which were the preferred, preferred share price. But then the thing is when you convert the preferred share back to the common share, it's a one-to-one transfer, right? And after a year, that stock was at a sub-penny level trading at like a penny or less. And even today, it's still around that point. So if I wanted to go out there and sell that preferred stock now, I don't even think I could buy something off the dollar menu at McDonald's. <laughs> I mean, I might be able to, but I might not be able to. And it's a pretty frustrating situation to be in. Now, but you've got a beautiful forward, share certificate. Exactly. But what am I going to do with that? Frame yep. it and go, yep. hey, guys, take out the money I lost. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go out there and advertise that. <laughs> I guess I am here. <laughs> then another time, like one of my friends, and maybe 2011, 2012, I was only making $16.24 an hour working at American Honda, which isn't really that much money when you live in Los Angeles. You've lived here 30 yeah. years ago. You know yeah. how hard it is to live on that little money. And like one of my friends convinced me to give him like 250 either a month or 250 every two weeks, something like that out of my paycheck. So I did it and I transferred it every single time to him for about a year. So that comes out to maybe like six grand and three grand, somewhere in that range. And like he used it to go out there and trade options. And he's like, hey, I'm making all this money. I'm making all this money. Then about like six, maybe about nine months in, he started getting a little bit obsessed with the stock market and over trading, which a lot of people do when they get too confident and they start losing money and they start losing more. He ended up blowing his entire portfolio. And I have never received that money back because it became a total loss. So if anyone out there says they're going to go out there and manage your money, I mean, think twice, because if they're not licensed, if they're not with an actual institution, if they're your friend, (laughs) chances are that money is probably going to vanish. Now, I like to say this little kitty is my worst investment because I bought this in Banff. See, it has this cute little smile. Okay. I like to say it's my worst investment because I got it in Banff. It was $350. Then I went on to, I looked up the artist and I tracked who it was down. And I found that they were only selling it for $169. But I mean, in reality, like 
when you compare this cat losing half my money compared to all the other things, I'm ahead with the cat. <laughs> so how would you summarize the lessons that you learned from these experiences? One thing is avoid stocks that are on the pink sheets and the OTCBB. If you're going to go out there and invest in stocks, trade stocks that are on the NASDAQ, the NYSE, ETFs, or things with a credible background that's been time tested, that yeah. has years and years and years of historical data that you could go through. So you can make sure you avoid those big mistakes and don't invest into stocks that are subpenny levels. If you are going to do penny stocks, look at penny stocks that are on the NASDAQ as opposed to the OTC and BB or the pink sheets. Avoid those completely because you could just get scammed really hard out of them. I've never used leverage or what they call it to 10X your account and trade with that, but that sounds like a really bad idea too. Because if you go the wrong way, you end up losing more than what you've invested, which could lead to dire consequences. And also at the same time, if a buddy says, hey, invest with me in something, don't invest with them, do it mm -hmm. yourself. And me personally, I have a 403B or whatever that's done pretty well. So that's one thing that has kind of worked out in my life. Another thing is look at maybe like commodities and so forth and like things like oil, the S&P and more stable type investments, because like overall, the stock market, 70% of it moves in the same direction. So if you try to diversify in the stock market, you don't really get true diversification because most 70% follow the S&P. Wow, that's a lot of stories and a lot of lessons. Maybe I'll just share some of my takeaways. You know, the first two stories that you talked about were the penny stock and the preferred share. And I think the underlying lesson from those, from my perspective, you know, you've talked about avoid OTC and kind of avoid startup situations, particularly in that OTC space, and avoid penny stocks unless they have some credibility like being on the NASDAQ or something like that. And with this, I would just highlight that ultimately when we're investing in business, the only thing that matters is the underlying business. In other words, can this company grow its revenue significantly and grow its profits even more significantly? Because if they're making $10 million right now and they're making a million dollars in profit, hopefully as they scale up, it's going to scale up with the profits rising slightly faster than the revenue. And that doesn't matter whether you're investing in a small company or in a large company. If that company can drive strong growth in the bottom line, then that is the ultimate thing that runs and drives the share price. So my first takeaway is really to focus on the underlying fundamentals of a company. It doesn't matter what the share price is, whether it's a dollar or whether it's $50,000. You know, like look at Berkshire Hathaway as an example. Warren Buffett's company is an extremely expensive or you could say high number that you're paying for each share but the underlying business is fantastic so that's the first thing and also you know try not to be seduced i think the preferred share one is a good example of kind of it's easy to be seduced oh i'm gonna be a vip i'm gonna be a preferred shareholder look i have rights over the common shareholders it doesn't matter if the underlying business is not driving profit growth and the last takeaway from my side is you said avoid investing with friends. Yeah, generally the answer to that is 
avoid investing in friends. I totally agree with that. And I've lost a lot of money over the years in doing that. And I know it's sexy and it's seductive and you want to help your friend and their idea is interesting, but chances are very high that they're going to fail. So if you want to invest with a friend, the best way to do it is to get 10 friends together to pull that money together and make it a more formal thing and then put in a tiny amount to help out that friend. And the last thing I would just say is that Leonard, it's like every young person comes to me at some point and says, I'm trading options, I'm trading Forex, I'm trading blah, blah, blah. And 95% of the time they lose all of their money. In fact, an older couple, of, a friend of mine that have very little money and they're in absolutely in retirement phase got hooked and said, we're going to trade Forex because some guy on the internet told us we can make a lot of money. And I told him, if you're trading Forex, you are betting against the banks and the central banks. What competitive advantage do you possibly have in that space? And of course, in their case, they had none. So this is some of the takeaways that I get from your stories. Is there anything that you would add to that? Oh, sure. So for the Forex, I tried paper trading Forex for a month and I lost money every single time. Blew my account. So I'm like, okay, I'm never going to get into Forex. Luckily, I had the opportunity to go out there and paper trade beforehand. Nowadays, you could get a lot more education with paper trading. There's a lot more tools out there that allow you to do it before you go do anything with live money, which is always recommended. Because, so let's you know, put that down as a lesson then. Another lesson is paper trade first before you put real money there. And then on top of that, I think I forgot to mention MoviePass. So MoviePass became extremely popular a few years ago, and it was listed on the stock exchange. And there was a time where it went down to like 50 cents and like all the creditors and everyone was talking about how it was destined for failure. And I'm like, wow, MoviePass, it's only $50 and you can watch as many movies as you want. There's no way that this could ever fail in my head, even though all the creditors are saying the exact different thing. So sometimes even if you see a stock on a reputable exchange like the NASDAQ or something if the creditors are all saying something then you should kind of beware because that turned into a sub penny stock and i basically lost my entire investment with that but on the contrary like gamestop and amc were kind of heading that same direction but they did end up finding a way out so uh, case by case (laughs) yep yep. so let me ask you based upon what you've learned from these stories and what you've continued to learn in your life what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I would say make a more conservative investment profile. And like, let's say you have a goal to go out there and make $6 million by retirement or something like that. I mean, recommendations are usually around like what one or two, but then if you really think about it, if you're spending like a hundred grand or more a year, then you really can't do that. Mm. So if you really want to have that much, then figure out how to earn more money to go out there and invest with and try to look at the calculated returns at around 5 to 10% a year, as opposed to trying to go and get the 50% or the 100% or the 10 bingers, which are, well, possible, not plausible. Yep. Fantastic. Now, let me ask you, what is a resource either that you've created or that you've used that you'd recommend for our listeners? When it comes to marketing, a great resource I have is my book, Ditch the Act, Reveal the Surprising Power of the Real You for a Greater Success. 
Because like, for example, back in 2011 to 2014, I was earning about $16 and 24 cents an hour, which comes out to about 30 to $33,000 a year. And before that, I was earning a lot less. But by going out there and building up my personal brand, I was able to add a multiplier to my income to go and grow that exponentially. So if you're struggling with your business, if you're struggling with your job, if you're looking for ways to go out there and make more income by going out there and building your personal brand, you can make more more income that you could go and use towards investing. Fantastic. And last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? And I think we're going to have an interesting answer here. So I don't actually have goals. And when I think back to like when I was like 21, 22, 23, you know, early 20s, like I had like these wild outrageous goals. Like I'm going to be a millionaire next year. I'm going to go get a Jaguar. What's the top of the line? XJ. I'm going to go get this and that. I'm going to get a Porsche Panamera and like none of those things actually ever happen. <laughs> and when I think about it, the reason it doesn't happen is because you're here in life, the goal is over here. And then a few months go by and you move up this far or a year goes by and you move up like this far. And then the goal is over here. So what happens is it ends up become extremely debilitating to your subconscious because you're like, <laughs> I'm never going to get up there. It's going to be impossible because it's like, how are you even supposed to get there? When I kind of took the monetary situation out of it, the goals and the uh, other objectives that I wanted to go out there and achieve, I kind of flipped my mentality from like building my personal brand. I did it with writing. Some people do it with video, but I don't know. I like writing more because it's, you can do it anywhere. You can do it on the bus. You can do it at mm. home. You could do it in the bathroom. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like For video, you can't really do that in the bathroom. <laughs> it's going to be a little questionable. Like for writing, like I, I went out there and I was like, you know, I'm just going to write whatever I feel like every day. And because people were reacting positively to my content after a month, a month and a half of writing, like my first month, I only got like 102 views, but then it turned into like 2 million reads by six months. But like the second month, like people started like engaging with it and stuff. Like it, it was fun. It was fun interacting and sharing stories and everything. So I changed it from, I'm just going to keep doing this for fun and like slowly reposition my branding every now and every six months. And it was kind of interesting because like after like maybe a year of writing, someone was like, hey, I'll pay you 250 to go write this for me. I'm like, oh, 250, that's great. And someone's like, oh, I'll pay you 500. And someone's like, I'll pay you a thousand. And someone's like, I'll pay you $5,000. I'm like, I'll take $5,000. And then now like I'm charging like six figures a year for services. And I'm like, oh, cool. And then like, it's kind of crazy where like all those things that were unachievable for me in the past after going out there and taking those goals away, and not focusing on what I wanted. Like when my ex-wife asked me, what's your dream car? I'm like, I don't know, a Jaguar F-Pace, which is, you know, like a $50,000 vehicle. And then she's like, why don't you get it? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and like at that time, I already had enough money to get it. <laughs> so like, but then I also kind of kept uh, everything pretty conservative at the time. I drove a 20-year-old XJ300 and things like that. Mm. 97 and before that a 94 infinity q45 so i kind of kept like things pretty conservative in my life and i didn't go after my financial interests not really goals until my ex-wife asked me why i didn't buy them <laughs> so drop the goals or drop the focus on money and focus in on 
the value that you could create. And before you know it, the money comes, it sounds like. Yeah, basically. Yep. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't yet taken the risk reduction assessment, I challenge you to go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and start building wealth the easy way by reducing risk. As we conclude, Leonard, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of A Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for our audience? Yeah, yeah, I'm an alumni of the worst investment ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a distinguished, it's a distinguished title. Anyways, what would you leave us with for your parting words? I'd say for my parting words, like, especially in the boring industries with a lot of regulations, there's ways to go out there and market to really differentiate yourself. All you have to do is really figure out how to do it. And if you need advice or help with anything, feel free to reach out to me and we can brainstorm some stuff. Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers. Today, we expanded our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on the upside.